Sawbones is a show about medical history, and nothing the hosts say should be taken as medical advice or opinion. It's for fun. Can't you just have fun for an hour and not try to diagnose your mystery boil? We think you've earned it. Just sit back, relax, and enjoy a moment of distraction from that weird growth. You're worth it. <laughs> Welcome to Sawbones, marital tour of misguided medicine. I'm your co-host Justin McElroy, and I'm Sydney McElroy. Sydney, welcome back to the program. Thank you, and welcome Justin. our third, third chair, which is technically Sydney's arms. Yes, Cooper McElroy. She, it, we're gonna try to keep her. Well, I'm not gonna keep her. I can't keep her quiet. That was a complete lie. I'm just gonna hope she sleeps. And doesn't take a huge dump again. Yes. Like last time. She has three times in the last couple hours, so you have to assume she's empty. The numbers are on our side. But there really is no limit to how much a baby can poop. You heard it here first, folks, from a doctor. Babies can <laughs> poop a, infinitely. Anyone who has had children can attest to that. They just Sometimes there are just days where they just do, poop all day. Um, we, uh, it was a, uh, we had a sad event. Uh, last week, mm-hmm. uh, the celebrated physicist uh, Stephen Hawking passed away. That's right. Popular science guy and uh, expert in all things space and physics, time and physics and time and everything. The whole enchilada. Well, that's that that whole area of science to me is I mean and I am I guess I'm a scientist right like I'm a yeah, doctor I'm a scientist trade. that area is just I can't even begin to understand or try to understand it's re- that's really hard for me Cindy said to me before we started recording this episode um I understand the disease and the medicine of this but I'm not an expert in sort of Stephen Hawking's discoveries so I'm going to need you to sort of pick up the <laughs> slack there so I'm kind of like the Stephen Hawking, right? You're the, like, part, the astrophysics. The astrophysics uh-huh. into this, right? Here's what I know about Stephen Hawking. He made some discoveries that made it easier for us to study black holes. Yes, I knew that, and so much else. Right, and that's sort I of. I wasn't how very. Gonna... I wasn't very good in like regular physics. Right, is the thing. <clears throat> and then you do physics that... in space. You take those physics out to space. <laughs> And let them do their thing. Uh-huh. No, thank you. I was I was a biology person through and through with mm-hmm. like the chemistry that was necessary, and then the physics that you had to take to get into med school, and it, that was hard for me. But of course, we're not talking about physics, sitting. We're no. talking about ALS, which everyone knows stands for Lou Gehrig's disease. Okay, well, you're close. First of all, let me say. Uh, thank you to uh, uh, we had so many people recommend this topic. I can't thank you all because I think in light of Stephen Hawking's passing, a lot of people were a little more interested in what what exactly was this disorder? What what you know, what was the nature of it? Um, so thank you to everybody who tweeted and emailed and 
Facebook messaged and everything because um, there were a lot of people. Uh, amyotrophic lateral sclerosis, ALS, or what is popularly known in the U.S. as Lou Gehrig's disease, uh, is a it's a motor neuron disease. Okay. What does that mean? I don't. I don't know. You don't know. Motor neuron disease. Okay. No. It, it is it disease. I don't really expect you to know. Relating I just to was joking, but the neurons in the brain, which is the neuron, is like a a, a chemical connection in the brain, and it re- how it relates to our motor functions. That was pretty good. Yes. You kind of neuron was a little off there. It's a nerve. It's a cell. nerve. Cell. cell. It's a brain cell. Brain cell. Neuron. It's a brain cell. Okay. So anyway, but that's okay. Not it's a bad. cell. It's a yeah. Not it's bad. a cell. So the yes, I mean in the sense that it is a degenerative disease of the nerves that control our uh voluntary actions. Okay. Our 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 muscles and, and our ability to move and the things we do voluntarily. Does that make sense? Yes. Um and as as these nerves degenerate over time, we lose the ability to control these muscles. And so you know, the most obvious uh, manifestation of that is you use the lose the ability to um, control your limbs or to walk or to stand. You know, you become progressively weaker uh, and that results in, I think, you know, what we were already aware of, you know, the fact that Stephen Hawking was in a wheelchair through a good bit of his life because he could, you know, he was weaker. He couldn't control those muscles and those muscles over time. Um, and this is true in general for anything that would cause a muscle to become um, to lose innervation, meaning no longer have a nerve to it, mm-hmm. that muscle will start to atrophy. Okay. So um, over time, you lose the ability to walk, to uh, you know voluntarily move those whatever muscles are have now become affected. Whatever muscles have lost their nerves. Do things become atrophied because they're not innervated, or because you don't move them? Or is that, I mean, well, I know that's kind of a causation and correlation. I was going to say but... that yes and yes. Okay. If uh, I didn't move it, though, it would become atrophied in the same way. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. If it, I, yeah, you'd have to not move it for a long time to become atrophied as fast as it can if you lose innervation. You know what I mean? Yeah. 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 But yeah. I mean, if you, if you lay in a bed, we, we say that for people who are sick in the hospital, you'll see people who come into the hospital with an illness and they'll spend a few days in bed and they will be incredibly weak at the end of that. And it really wasn't the illness as much as just being in bed for a few days mm-hmm. can. Yeah. So that's, that's fair. Um, it also affects things like speaking and swallowing. Cause obviously muscles are in charge of those things. And then eventually breathing can become affected because you use muscles to breathe. I don't know that we always think about that. We think about our lungs, but we don't always think about like our diaphragm and all of the other muscles of respiration that, that help us breathe. And that usually is is what makes the disease fatal mm. for the most part, generally speaking. Now, what what's interesting about Stephen Hawking is that, as many people noted, he survived a lot longer than a lot of patients with ALS generally do. Mm-hmm. And that is largely because while the disease is always progressive, meaning it continues to affect more and more, you know, functions over time, it is variable in its course. Mm. Uh, you know, there there are kind of different uh, types, different sub subsets of ALS, mm-hmm. and in these different presentations, uh, 
they can affect your muscles faster or more slowly. And the things that are critical for survival, like swallowing and breathing, those muscles could become affected much later in life. So, and some things can be overcome, you know, if you worry about like the muscles of swallowing, if you can't swallow, obviously we worry about nutrition and hydration, but you can overcome those things with, um, like we can put a, a, what's called a peg tube or a a tube in like your stomach or, you know, from the outside straight into your stomach and feed you that way and give you hydration that way. So we can overcome some things that are Mm. affected. Obviously breathing is, is the big, that's the big hang up. That's the big one. Yeah. And so for every patient who's diagnosed, the course is going to be a little different. There are some general categories you can put patients into that can help you um, kind of expect what, you know, predict what's going to happen next. But even within those categories, everybody is is different. And it's a fairly rare disease. Um, I'm sure that's more common with diseases that relate to the brain. It, it seems to be a, a, a pretty common connective tissue with like neurological uh, diseases. You're thinking of things like MS? Yeah. Yeah. Where, yeah. I had, exa- I had ready example. I'm glad you, you're so perceptive, <laughs> Sydney. Yes. I did have ready examples in my head, that, but thank you for choosing a mess. Yes. Well, that, or like fun. if we want to get into more cognitive disorders like dementia, I think, mm. you know, Alzheimer's and other types of dementia, I think you can make the same correlation. It's different. And now part of that might just be because we don't understand them as well yet. Mm. You know, we're, we're getting into a lot of areas where we know what happens, but why and why it happens to the people it happens to and how to stop it. Those are still obviously big questions. We don't have great answers to yet. Um, it, and, and it, when something is very rare, it makes it harder mm. to study. How rare is very rare? Yeah. How rare is it? Yeah. It is, uh, there are about uh, 6,000 new cases in the U.S. each year. Wow. Okay. It's a fairly rare disease. Um, and like I said, everyone can be a little bit different. There's some general categories you can put people into to predict things, but usually different. It is not often inherited. We think about disease. I think there's a lot of assumption what? that. How can something be not often inherited? Well, because it, it's different. Like I said, there are different types. <coughs> and so there are, there is a small percentage of patients that we find they had a family history of it. Mm. But most of the time it's just random. That's so strange. You can't predict it. That's very strange to me that something could be sometimes inherited. So those are probably different, what we would call like pathophysiologies. Kind of the, the, what is happening on a cellular level, on a microscopic level is probably slightly different in some of these cases. Wild. Okay. Um, But it's really hard because for one, for one thing, if you want to talk about, you know, one thing we know about ALS and some of these other neurodegenerative diseases that we've talked about is they can have, you can accumulate these plaques, these materials that accumulate in the brain. Um, That is really hard to study when someone's alive. Mm, Because if you get in there. Yeah, I mean, brain surgery is a big deal. No, you should, you should, well, I mean, we do, but we should try to stay out of there as much as possible. I mean, you probably shouldn't if you don't have to. Right, and so they're harder to study when people are still alive and we don't necessarily get as much information after people you know, on autopsy. Right. And, and so, you know, it's, it's still very complex and we don't, we don't know all the reasons why the people who get it do and what's going to happen, why they progress the way that they do. It's, there's still a lot of unanswered questions. Mm-hmm. Um, as a result of this, we don't have a particularly effective treatment and we certainly do not have a cure at this point. Um, there, there 
are things that we can do, um, like experimental medications that can extend life a little bit. And then there are um, supportive treatments. So like I mentioned, kind of with other ways to feed people, you know, right? Um, or breathing support like ventilators. Um, and then obviously all of the ways that we help people who are no longer able to walk or to stand or to communicate through speaking, those kinds of things. Mm-hmm. Um, but all that being said, it's really just supportive care. It's mm. not necessarily disease treatment right. per se. Now, um, when did we figure this out? Um, I don't know, Sid. Let's go to, in, let's do some history. Okay, let's we do it. We talked a lot. I, I felt like it was important to go over what ALS is because I think it's one of those things that everybody's kind of aware of but isn't quite sure what it is. Mm-hmm. Um, the term ALS was first coined in 1874 by Jean-Martin Charcot. There had been some descriptions of the disease um, a few decades earlier by another neurologist, Charles Bell. I couldn't find these descriptions. I kept saying that, like, Charles Bell described it, and then I couldn't find it in any of his writings, so I'm not... Bell's palsy? Exactly. Bell of Bell's palsy. Very good. All right. Um, But he he had, I guess, written some, like, descriptions of patients that probably, if we look back, probably did have ALS, um, but I didn't find those. So he gets the credit in a lot of articles, but I didn't find the proof of it. So there you go. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give it largely to Charcot. He was a French neurologist, um, the father of neurology in many ways. He discovered a lot of different neurological diseases. He was also a uh, very prominent figure in developing like the neuro exam, the way we figure out, you know, like sensory nerves versus motor nerves and what does what and how we figure out if different nerves are working or not you know what tests we do and things so a a big figure in the history of neurology huge for the asmr community um he's done a lot of because the neurological exam is like (laughs) really one of the bedrocks of asmr videos right like a huge contribution to them too that's what he's mainly known for anymore yeah, that's true. That's, that's the biggest thing. ALS was actually initially called Charcot's disease. And my understanding is that in a lot of the world, it's still called Charcot's disease. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't, I can't attest, I can't attest to that because I live here. Now you're saying Charcot. Mm-hmm. I'm going to go ahead and say Charcot because that sounds like a fun shark mascot of uh, some sort of. No, but did you see the spelling? Yeah, but like Charcot. It's not, it's like. It's like French. Yeah, but like, not shark, like Sharko. Not like, like Shark fun... with an like dash O. Yeah, but it would be funny if his name was Sharko. So I'm gonna <laughs> go with Sharko. Okay, Sharko. Sharko sounds like a bad clown at SeaWorld. <laughs> um, Sharko has a lot That's of stuff. Hey, Sharko. <laughs> <laughs> that... You kids want me to make a balloon dolphin? If you've, if it was possible to make clowns a little scarier, you've, you've done it. Yeah, I'm half shark. I won't tell you which half. (laughs) Is is that the name of the clown on it? (laughs) (laughs) No, that clown's name is Pennywise, Sydney. Okay. (laughs) I don't know. Pennywise, Sharko. Oh, his last name is Sharko. That's right. I forgot. I watched the old one and it was really scary up until the giant spider. So I didn't watch the new one. Spoilers. Sheesh. That's the old one. I don't know. The new one might not have one. May have a bigger spider (laughs) or a smaller one. Sharko has uh, a bunch of stuff named for him. I don't know if this is interesting to everybody. Um, I'm looking at this list that you've put in your notes here. It is wild. I, well, I won't go into all of them because I, I understand that it gets boring. <laughs> it's just, okay, list a few of them, and then I'll make a pithy and uh, 
uh, uh-huh. fascinating there's an, okay, there's, insight. There's an artery name for Charcot. Yeah. Cleverly named Charcot's artery. Uh, there's a condition that can happen to joints called Charcot's joint. Uh, there, obviously, Charcot's disease we've talked about. There's Charcot-Marie tooth disease, which has nothing to do with teeth, no. by the way. Um, it's, a, it's another neurodegenerative disease. The reason I like it, though, is he published accounts of this disorder, this neurodegenerative disorder, at the exact same time as Pierre Marie, who was one of his students, and Howard Henry Tooth. And so it got named for all of them. Um, <coughs> not and it has nothing to do with, with teeth. And but. he has so many others. You think he would be like, no, no, no. That can be Marie Tooth. It's cool. It's Marie Tooth. People yeah. already hear my name and associate it with so much whack stuff, but I've got to get my name on a Charcot Marie tooth disease. And there's, for sure. there's other stuff like Charcot's intermittent hepatic fever and Charcot's triad that have nothing. Those have nothing to do with like neurodegenerative disorders. He's got like he's, he was a practicing neurologist, right? <laughs> yeah. You got to see. Like, but he got into other stuff. Yeah. But this cat would be like. How many times did this cat have to be like, uh, I actually do know what this is. You have me. You have a bad case of me, itis. And uh, what, he, well, which kind is it? Is it the serious kind of you, itis? Or the like not as serious kind of you, itis? <laughs> like, I don't know. There's a lot of things that I cause. He actually had two triads. Okay, great. Isn't that wild? Two separate triads. What's a triad? It's a constellation of three symptoms that are pathognomonic, meaning that they usually indicate a certain disease process. If you see these three symptoms, it's probably this. So Charcot's triad of acute cholangitis means that you have pain in like the area where your liver is, your right, right upper quadrant of your stomach, um, that you have jaundice, you've turned yellow, and you have a fever. So those three symptoms together usually indicate acute cholangitis. I won't go into all that, but that's a triad in medicine. Okay. Or other things, you know. We didn't corner, we didn't corner the market on the word triad, I don't yeah. think. Anyway, a bunch of stuff is named for him. I always think that's impressive because so far nobody's named any diseases for me. Not yet, Sid, but maybe no. Charcot, if you could connect with him, would like peel you off one, of, one or two of his. <laughs> I will say that on my iPhone, if uh, anybody ever tries to type Sid to me, call me Sid instead of by Sydney, it changes it to STD. I've experienced that, yeah. So is that sort of like that's having sort something of like named it. for me? That's a I think bit that's like similar. It. Um, so he was uh, he was a really brilliant neurologist. He he also described MS, by the way, multiple sclerosis. Um, he was he was the one who trained uh, Tourette. Oh, Tourette syndrome. Yes, who described Tourette syndrome. Um, he actually like gave he get he like bequeathed upon him the ability to name that. He was like, you get to name this one, buddy. What's the story with Pierre Marie discovering the same thing as the same time as Charcot? I would yeah. be a little suspicious if I was him. I mean, Tooth, as in Henry Howard, he was over in England and these guys were in France. So, like, he did it on his own. But it's actually a but common Marie, phenomenon, though. Like, people mm-hmm. discovering things. It's weird. It's like, uh, I read about it in, in a, uh, uh, a book about where ideas come from mm-hmm. and, like, about how ideas are often discovered at the same time because there's so much like cultural and like society has to be at a certain point for these ideas to, to take shape. But like once it's there, they're just like, it's not uncommon for several people at the same time to push it into the, in the end zone. Well, and there, there are a lot of sports metaphors. I'm so well known. (laughs) Well, and you're right. And there are a lot of times in medicine where that results in like, 
you know, bitter, um, you know, adversaries who, who hate each other forever because they both published, but one got the name or whatever, one gets the credit. Um, I did not read that in this case. As far as I know, Charcot, Marie, and Tooth <laughs> were all still fine with each other. They just shared the name. Where good ideas come from is the name of that book, oh. Stephen Johnson. It's good. Um, he also was a huge influence on Freud. Mm. So while he was a neurologist, he, and we'll get into this more extensively, he dabbled in psychiatry. Sure. And so uh, Freud was st- hoping he could find a few him. disorders over there just to lay, lay name lay some more stuff. Um, his ho- the hospital where he practiced saw. Hold on, this is French. Do you want to say it for me? It's right there. Uh, sure. Salpetriere. I love yours. Salpetriere. Salpetriere. There you go. Salpetriere. Yeah, like that. Uh, it Sophie's was. Sophie's a giraffe. <laughs> He he had a lot of patients there that he could study, especially when it came in came to the field of psychiatry, because it became sort of a, a refuge for anyone who was destitute. So for anyone who was homeless, um, so a lot of people who, by today's standards, would have been suffering from psychiatric disorders that were undiagnosed and unrecognized, and nobody knew they existed and completely untreated, um, they found refuge in the hospital. Um, there was a lot of people with. Um, very so like prostitutes often stayed there homeless people beggars um and so he saw many many patients and was able to study many disorders and describe them he actually referred to his hospital as a grand asylum of human misery which i would not put on a billboard were it me no no but that is the uh only way i refer to Dollar General when I go <laughs> when I have to go there. The art, they see they call our hospital. They say that we're your partners for life, and mm, the other one in town you. is or the Hands of Experience. I don't think With Grand Asylum of Human hands. Misery. That's the the St. Mary's jingle. Uh-huh. With these hands, get stuck in your head. So I I don't think he was in PR, but um, and this this uh interaction with a lot of psychiatric illness that was again very poorly understood at this point in history led him down some very strange paths which i would like us to take a quick diversion into all right let's do it after oh we visit the billing department denied let's go the medicines the medicines that escalate macabre for the mouth Sydney, you know how you're always saying that you'd like to build a Justin McRoy fan site full of all your favorite quotes, clips, videos, and hunky pictures of beloved podcaster Justin McRoy? I don't remember. Well, there's that- no need to wait any longer, Sydney, because Squarespace is going to make it easier than you could possibly believe to make a website uh, all about your favorite hunky podcasting superstar. I don't think I was going Squarespace, to— Squarespace, what is it? It's a tool—think of it as— the palette, the palette of a web design artist. But you don't have to be a web design artist. You could just take stuff off the palette that is created by real people that know what they're really doing and put it from the palette onto the easel. The metaphor is broken down. Basically, you're going to be able to create great-looking websites that have fantastic customer support and help you unlock your creativity and do whatever you want to with your small business or podcaster obsession. You can sell products. You can uh, post your videos. You can share your stories about how Justin has shaped your life and is also a fantastic father. Folks, 
you got to stop waiting to make your Justin McElroy fan site. Go to squarespace.com slash sawbones for a free trial. And when you're ready to launch your Justin McElroy fan site, use offer code sawbones to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. We have just started rehearsing for the summer theater. That's right. Summer starts in March around these parts. And that means we don't have much time at all in the evenings to make dinner. But we will not be just consuming Wendy's, uh, although there will be some Wendy's consumed. But we are going to have a little extra help with Factor, which delivers ready-to-eat delicious meals right to your door. And not like junky stuff you get out of the freezer aisle, whatever. This is real high-quality, chef-crafted stuff that in two minutes you're ready to eat it. I'm talking about some Southwestern-style turkey and mac. I think this week I'm going to be enjoying a shredded chicken taco bowl is 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 part of my plan. Um, but they got like fancy stuff. Listen to this. Where are you going to get this? Truffle butter filet mignon. I mean, seriously? From 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 a, a box? Pre-prepared? All I got in two minutes? I'm eating filet mignon? That sounds delicious. Yeah, it sounds delicious. And you can give these a try. And it's not just these meals. We're talking pancakes smoothies they got some great wellness shots that are surprisingly delicious and the meals you just eat and eat there's no prepping cooking or cleanup get as much as you need by choosing your meals every week you're going to get exactly what you want no surprises here uh and the meals i can say are delicious so what do you got to lose head on over to factormeals.com sawbones 50 and use code Sawbones50 to get 50% off. That's code Sawbones50 at factormeals.com slash Sawbones50 to get 50% off. Sydney, you lured me into uh, some strange paths that Sharko went down in the treatment of ALS. And uh, oh, I'm ready. Well, he wasn't. And let, me, and let me clarify. This was not in any way related to ALS. I oh. just, we're talking about Sharko, and this is a show about wacky medical history so here we are so we got to mention it and again can i just say he was a obviously a very smart guy who figured out a lot of stuff Mm -hmm. so i don't want to take that from him but like every medical figure from the time he got some stuff wrong oh of course right that's natural it's a Um, learning it's a learning environment and especially if you start to dig into the history of a lot of psychiatric disease there is so much misunderstanding uh for for so many years and so much stigma and magical thinking and i you know there was no it a lot of people got stuff wrong so uh a patient was transferred to his hospital that changed the course of his studies for a while and i would say if if anything kind of um i don't want to say damages his legacy but you know if if there was a black spot this is probably where it is so there was a flower delivery man who was out in the street pushing in a wheelbarrow delivering his flowers when he was struck by a carriage Mm -hmm. Um, he was knocked unconscious and sent to one hospital when he awoke, he had memory issues. He was actually paralyzed from the waist down. He had developed this tremor uh, in the corner of his mouth. Um, no one really understood what had happened at the time. They knew something had happened, but there was no visible injury. Okay. You know, so something happened. Right. Now he was, he was there at this this hospital that he was initially at for six months. And then what probably happened is over time, nobody knew what to do with him. Nobody knew how to fix him. He wasn't really getting better. And 
he probably couldn't pay, I would assume, eventually. Mm-hmm. And as I already mentioned, the hospital where Charcot worked was kind of a refuge for people like that. So he was transferred there. And also they had this neurological expert working there. And Charcot saw him and interviewed him and got read the history and everything and came up with a diagnosis of hysteria. Mm, not a real thing. Right. Now, as we have discussed before on this program, hysteria was a diagnosis usually historically applied to women who were acting any way that men didn't like. And sometimes that was because there was an actual underlying medical or, you know, perhaps it was it was a psychiatric disorder. Other times hysteria was used to describe women who, I don't know, didn't want to like stay at home necessarily or get married or raise kids. Maybe they wanted to have jobs. Maybe they wanted to wear pants. Who knows? Maybe they just, you know, didn't want to cook their husband dinner that night. But for whatever reason, hysteria was often applied to just women who, you know. Got out of line. Yeah, you could say. I wouldn't say. I'm just saying they would say, (laughs) not I would say. Um, I could not say. In this case, obviously, something had occurred. This man probably suffered from a close head injury. And there was probably some... Meaning like some some sort of like subdural hematoma or something mm, like that? It could easily have been some sort of intracranial hemorrhage. Uh, There were parts of his brain that were... Obviously, he had had suffered some sort of damage to his spinal cord, possibly. He was paralyzed from the waist down. Um, But you couldn't see any of that, you know? He wasn't cut or bleeding. There was no obvious source of injury. Mm. So these sort of these sort of injuries you wouldn't be able to see at the time. So it'd be very hard to say what exactly happened. Um, he also started having seizures at one point, which again would point to maybe some sort of hemorrhage in the brain. Um, but nobody knew that at the time. So he called it hysteria. Now his understanding of hysteria was a, a little different. Um, again, from ancient times, the the word hysteria referenced the uterus. And it was thought that hysteria was something only women or people with uteruses could have because it was the co- it was the result of the uterus moving around in the body and making you act strangely. Um, this was a departure from that view, obviously. Mm-hmm. Uh, he believed that hysteria was the result of kind of a weak neurological system. Your nerves were just kind of just weak. Kind of, yeah, which is. Like, the idea of your nerves being frayed or weak is actually pretty old. Mm-hmm. Like, people who have anxiety, I think, get that. Like, that was sort of the, the, the line of thinking for a while, that your nerves would just get sort of, like, worn worn down. Mm-hmm. And I, to this day, I a lot of people will refer to it as, I have a problem with my nerves. I have an issue with my nerves. Well, what what when you think about the term nervous breakdown, mm-hmm. that's where this kind of misunderstanding comes and a nervous from. breakdown actually we, we still use that term but that's actually not very specific is it Mm-mm. like or accurate accurate <laughs> is the word i meant to use yeah so um, th- but these this persists the the um nerves is in and of itself is kind of a culture bound syndrome that people will use to describe somewhat anxiety but they don't even it's not even necessarily anxiety it's it's also just stress mm-hmm. you know but but nerves is its own thing which isn't actually a diagnosis um anyway uh so he he began to to develop this theory that you could get hysteria as a result of some sort of trauma 
It could be a physical trauma. It could be a psychological trauma, but some sort of trauma occurs and then your neurological system is weakened and you can develop. He had a whole, he broke it all down. There was major hysteria and minor hysteria. Some of it could be just, um, like a change in behavior. Someone who was, whose behavior had changed somewhat bizarrely may be described as having hysteria. And that may well have been an underlying psychiatric illness. Who knows? Um, and then someone like this who has a clear neurological problem would also be described as having a different kind of hysteria mm. um, when there probably was underlying n- nerve damage that was done that would have explained it. There were also he studied a lot of women with what he called hysteroepilepsy. OK, what's that? So some of these patients may have had seizures and if and we've talked about epilepsy before epilepsy was poorly understood for a long time and thought to be well after we stopped thinking it was either possession or a some sort of spell (laughs) um we we misunderstood it as a psychiatric illness for a long time as well um so some of these women may have actually had seizures have had epilepsy um for others it may again have been a psychiatric illness that would cause some sort of like maybe a catatonic state, some anything like that could have been described as hysteroepilepsy as well. So there, so he is very famous for many reports he did on specific patients. There were two women in particular that he did a lot of, um, he spent a lot of time with to understand their hysteria. Mm. So his name is closely linked with a study of hysteria and also with hypnosis. Now the, at this point in history, we've talked about Mesmer before. Sure. Mesmer was very popular. He had popularized mesmerizing people, hypnosis. Um, And hypnosis was being used to try to treat a lot of things. And so he would actually, Charcot would use hypnosis to induce the hysterical symptoms in front of his colleagues. At least that was what he was intending to do. So he would... In front of like students and colleagues, people who were studying to become doctors or or just wanted to know what he knew would come and he would put one of his patients in front of them all and he would hypnotize them and then suggest to them to do all of these things that he'd witnessed and they would do them all. Now, in retrospect, what was probably happening is that the the power of suggestion, he was telling the patients to do the thing and the patients were doing the thing. A lot of hypnosis work. Exactly. Um, and not actual hypnosis. And it wasn't even necessarily like some, a lot of people would write it was to treat the patient. It didn't necessarily treat the patient. If they were suffering from something that made them um, dangerous, mm-hmm. then it certainly would make them more docile for the moment. Right. But it, it didn't necessarily treat anything. Mm. Uh, it certainly wouldn't have treated the patient we discussed. He actually for a while was called the Napoleon of neuroses. <laughs> so... I, yeah, I don't think that nickname stuck um, with all of his other medical eponyms. Right. Um, so, like I said, he, he spent a lot of time and energy describing hysteria and using hypnosis and refining these techniques. And this was a huge influence on Freud. Oh, okay. So now eventually Freud would start to depart from some of these ideas. And eventually even Charcot would say, you know what, I think maybe there's I got some things wrong (laughs) he would start to divide the neurological and psychiatric illness and start to see them as as different things but that's a refreshing level of awareness for this time period but but it really and and when you do these kinds of studies and you you are respected the way he was and you have so many students and doctors come in and learn from you it has a huge impact 
on medicine and psychiatry. Right, because you're a leader in the field. So like the things that you're sort of mm-hmm. focusing on are, are going to be a lot of things a lot of people are paying attention. And, and so as a result, a lot of stuff got thrown into this basket of hysteria, which was nothing. Um, and, and those specific disorders, it took longer to figure out what they were and probably set psychiatry back somewhat. Um, he did believe that men could get hysteria, which was um, a new idea for the time. Is that, that was the word? Was I a- <laughs> progressive? I don't think that that's actually accurate in this case. It was less sexist, but still wrong. Right. Uh, so I don't know if you get points for that. So his neurological legacy is is amazing. His psychiatric legacy not so great. A lot of Stay people in your will lane, know everybody. Stay <laughs> in your lane. That's a lot of people will say. Well, but he wasn't a psychiatrist, so that would be my advice. So stick with what you know. Just don't run your mouth about a bunch of stuff, man. You already <laughs> got fifteen diseases. Like just calm down. Just stick with what you know, because he he did accurately describe ALS. Now. I would love to to give you this history of all the things we learn and have improved in the treatment of ALS since then. But there isn't a lot of history with that. Obviously, it, it came largely into public awareness as a result of Lou Gehrig, um, and which is why we, we refer to it as Lou Gehrig's disease. At least in the States, probably. I can't imagine that's... it's Yeah, it's usually just in the United States. Um, and it has been closely associated with him. And then since that, Stephen Hawking, I think to some extent. I feel like I've heard it since Stephen Hawking has come to prominence, mm-hmm. referred to more as ALS than Lou Gehrig's disease. Like, because mm-hmm. it yeah. sounds weird to say, like, Stephen Hawking has Lou Gehrig's disease. Like, well, I mean, Stephen Hawking's pretty good. Too. Yes. Like, he's a pretty exactly. big deal. It's kind of weird to say, like, he's got baseball player syndrome. Like, yeah, I mean, like, no doubt Lou Gehrig was a very big deal, but like, Stephen Hawking is Stephen Hawking. Maybe we just name it. Maybe just don't even name it after somebody who had it. No. Or a lot of. Disease? What about Charcot's disease? I mean, yeah, it was yeah. named for the guy who discovered it. And yeah, then... that's fine. Yeah. But he has a lot of other things going on, Sydney. He's got to make up some stuff about psychiatry and he's got 15 <laughs> other disorders named after him. Like, he doesn't need this. Are well, there many. I can't. Th- can you think of any other instances of diseases that are named after people who had them? Uh, you know what? As you said that, I was thinking, I don't... I don't think that's very nice. I don't know. I'd have to read about it. But no, I I mean, that doesn't seem... Which I think attests to the fact that we didn't know a lot about it. It was very, it was very unique. Mm-hmm. And so when... I mean, it's a very rare dis- disease. And so when Lou Gehrig announced he had it... I think a lot of people were like, what, what does he have? I don't know. It's, it's that. And then people would say, it's that thing Lou Gehrig had. That Lou Gehrig disease. Right. And so I think, I think that's why. And also ALS is easy to remember, but amyotrophic lateral sclerosis is not. So. It's not even easy to say. No, it's not. Um, uh, Stephen Hawking was diagnosed in 1963. We still did not know much about what was going on i mean we knew what the we knew degeneration of the nerves happened and we knew what the results were Mm -hmm. but as far as what could be happening that we could target with drugs to fix we did we didn't understand well um and at the time i think he was given like a prognosis of two-year survival uh obviously that was wrong Um, which again is not because the that's not even because the doctors didn't know much it's just it's hard to predict the course um and what is what is interesting is that in some cases of ALS, it can affect cognitive function. Mm. Um, obviously, that was not true right. with Stephen Hawking um, because despite the fact that he had 
you know, some physical, many physical manifestations of the disease, it didn't stop him from changing the way we look at the universe. Mm -hmm. Um, And then he, you know, he survived till he was 76, which is a really long time for ALS. I mean, like, yes, it's astounding. Yeah. Which, I mean, that's like 76 is a good long life generally. yeah. Yeah. Um, and, and a lot of people have asked, like, what was different about him? Probably just luck that that was the form of ALS he got. You know, some people have asked, like, because he was so famous and well-known and probably had the means to support himself. Did he get better? Did he get better treatment? I wouldn't say necessarily. No. I mean, yes, he was able to afford the supportive treatments that are available, but it probably just has more to do with the kind of the way his ALS manifested as opposed to any special care he mm-hmm. received. Not to say he didn't. I'm sure he got excellent care. But I, I doubt that that is why he lived so long. Um, it It's just the nerves that affected his diaphragm, his ability to breathe, clearly were unaffected for a very long time. Um, and uh, And so he was able to stay with us longer and change our understanding of you know the universe which is pretty amazing pretty darn good mm-hmm. Good job. i think i think it's a very inspirational there there is nothing n- nothing has to hold you back i think it's very it's a very inspirational story me too um, um so thank- and that's also a it's a good reminder diseases like als sometimes i mean there was the ice bucket challenge on YouTube, right? Mm-hmm. Where everybody was attempting, you know, working to raise money for ALS by dumping buckets of ice water on their head. Uh, I, and so obviously it has gotten some attention, but a lot of times rare diseases like this don't necessarily get all of the um, research attention and money and funding that they could. Um, but we need to, clearly, because we this is still an area where we don't have a great treatment other than just to support people as long as we can. Mm-hmm. Um, so thank you uh, so much for listening for, to this episode. Hey, if you're a fan of Sawbones or any of the other great Max Fun shows, I have big news. The Max Fun Drive is kicking off April 2nd, running for just two weeks. We'll be running some choice episodes of all of our podcasts. We got a, a ton of great gifts um, for new and upgrading members. And uh, it's the best time to support these shows that you uh, that you enjoy, we hope, so much. So uh, don't miss that. That is kicking off April 2nd, the day after April Fool's Day, which falls on an Easter this uh, year, which is unfortunate, I it's think. It's going to be a weird day. For Jesus. It's, <laughs> it's, a bad, it's bad timing for him, I think. <laughs> we prefer that to not occur. Because it's like, um, he's like, I'm back. And they're like, ha ha, hey. we get it. And he's like, no, seriously, hey, Justin, I'm back. No, I wouldn't, you know. And he's like, no, it's not a joke. I know what Justin, you're thinking. This isn't. No, I'm back. I feel like this is not the kind of, the, let's just stop there. He is risen, someone will say. And someone else will say, ha, good one. Mm-hmm. And then someone else will be like, no, really, I saw the stone rolled away. I think I think religious humor is not really where the sawbones. Yeah. Agreed. That's Don't not put it where on we April live. Day, Jesus, yeah. you know people are going to get on your case about you it. You can take this stuff to your other podcasts, folks. Sydney's <laughs> uh, <laughs> right. Uh, thank you to the taxpayers for letting us use our song "Medicines" as the intro and outro of our program, and thank you for listening. We will return to you next week with another episode. But until then, my name is Justin McElroy. I'm Sydney McElroy. And as always, don't. 
drill a hole in your head. MaximumFun.org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Listener supported.